0: Welcome to Management 101, your home for learning about management and leadership in business. Now, here is your host, Max Wenicker.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Management 101. I am your host, Max Wenicker. Thank you for joining me today. I am joined by a very special guest. And I know I say that about all of my guests, but that is always true. I only invite special guests on the show. His name is David Shapir. He and I are former colleagues and David has gone on to do some very interesting things in the world of management and data and product, which we're going to hear a little bit about today. Before we get to that, I just want to make a quick pitch. Some of you are aware that I run a Management 101 course, which is a three-part course, one hour each part, three hours total, talking through the basics of being a people manager. I am currently starting this next cohort in October, I have eight slots to fill. So you'll be in a small group of peers also taking on management responsibilities, possibly for the first time. It's a good way to get a little bit more individual with your learning about how to be a manager, get a little bit more direct access, ask direct questions than the podcast allows for. Uh, if you're interested in learning more, you can go to management101withmax.com slash course. It'll take you to a link to the course. Uh, If you are listening via podcast, you also get a 10% discount on the course. Just use the code PODCAST. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me via email, which is on that website, or LinkedIn. You can find me there. Yeah, it's three one-hour sessions. Uh, The next cohort starts in early October, I want to say. And it's just a way to get a little bit more in-depth with some of the concepts we talk about on here and a little bit more personal with that. So hope to see you at uh, course number one. Now, back to the interesting stuff. Uh, We're going to talk through the topic of the episode, and then I'm going to have David introduce himself because he'll do a better job than I will. But today's episode, more broadly, is focused on how do we enable ourselves and our teams to make better decisions with data. That is both from the concept of using any metrics at all and the way that we can obtain those metrics to use data most effectively, I've considered David to be one of the foremost experts in this. And when he introduces himself, you will see why. I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion just about how do we help our teams make better decisions. So without further ado, David, would you mind giving us the brief spiel on who you are, your background,
0: what you do today, what you're an expert in, all that fun stuff? Of course, Um, still very much a a student and learning, but hopefully can highlight some lessons I've learned uh, throughout my career. My name is David Shapiro. originally born and raised in Los Angeles. I studied in New York in undergrad, started my career in finance, working through a couple different parts of an investment bank. I then spent a number of years in Uber, where I really started to develop my modern day technical and data chops did a number of things from operations to product to launching a new business line where we work together, all the way to, to managing one of our lines of business on the RideShare side. Spent some time at a health tech startup building out the data infrastructure and the data team. And I am currently at another health tech startup called Tree, where I'm on the product team. I focus on data products and building tools for our clinical staff internally.
1: Today, we're going to be talking about how do we enable better decisions with data. Before we get there, given that this is Manager 101 and we're really focused on helping people become better managers, David, I just want to ask you, unrelated to data, just tell me about your ideal people manager. And then also tell us about, well, I'll wait for the, I'll save the first question. We'll do the first question first and the second question second.
0: How about that? Sounds good. Yeah. I'm happy to talk to that. I think the ideal people manager in my mind is largely a reflection on things I've liked and disliked of people managers I've had in the past and I think what I try to embody as a people manager. I think an ideal people manager will do four things for any individual. They would provide clarity. They would be a development facilitator. They would be a community builder and ultimately an advocate. I think first and foremost is clarity Because I know for me, when I'm in a, a given role, I want to be able to feel like I'm successful. Yeah. And I think the way in which I can be successful is if I understand what is expected of me, what's expected of our broader team, and how we can be successful. A way that an ideal people manager can bring clarity is by stating what our destination is very clearly and not giving necessarily turn-by-turn directions on how to get there, state the problem, not necessarily give me the solution, but be very clear on kind of where we're ending up or where we should end up. It's like a piece is being a facilitator of my development. Ideally, a manager would pair who I want to be as a professional and the things that I wanna learn with opportunities within the company. So I could feel like I'm both progressing as a professional and helping to drive value for the business. The third piece is around being a good community builder. I, I've i experienced in my career thus far that I'm always having dependencies on other stakeholders or cross-functional teams. And an ideal people manager, I think, would build the infrastructure for their team to be able to have really good working relationships with other, again, like stakeholders or any dependent parties just to make their job easier or my job easier. And then lastly, I think an ideal people manager is is an advocate. Managers can't do the work for their ICs. And sometimes there are internal or external factors that are out of their control, but they at least have the decision whether or not they're going to advocate for their team and push for any, or at least try to influence any changes that they may need to be most effective. So clearing roadblocks, raising flags, making sure their their team is heard and that is like disseminated across the
1: organization. Love those. I am hearing some themes we talk about often in manager 101. The first is around dictating the what versus the how. Uh, a really good manager says, here's the outcome we're trying to get to. Does not tell you exactly how to get there step by step because you're not an automaton. You are a person with a, actually probably a lot more expertise in how to get there than the manager has So really talking through here's where we want to get to and then helping you get there, but not telling you how to get there. Two is around creating that protective layer for the team. You talked about it as building good relationships and being an advocate. In my experience as well, great managers are ones who are building relationships with other parts of the organization. And in some ways, you could call it greasing the wheels for your work to be delivered, right? Almost every team member in any company is going to work in an environment that includes other people that either requires their work, their input, their approval in some way. And the more that a manager can build relationships of those teams, can build trust with those teams, the more successful their team members will
0: be in actually
1: delivering work that impacts
0: those other teams. So you're spot on. I think that that's exactly right. Greasing the wheels. It's Unless a people manager has found a way to uh, duplicate themselves, they, a, a, an effective manager, I think, is focused on building the infrastructure for their team to be successful. Yeah, And that is very difficult and why we need to have strong people managers, because you need to have an understanding of the direction in which a team should go. And the underlying pieces, whether that be systems and processes or other teams In order to enable your team to be most impactful and and effective and that just people managers focusing on the framework i think gives their team the highest likelihood to be successful and also frames things around the what and not the how which gives individuals autonomy satisfaction in their day-to-day so on and so forth it kind of has a, a pretty broad effect yep
1: could not agree more well, let's let's transition a little bit into your own managerial approach and then we'll get into the meaty stuff. You just described your ideal people manager. In what ways does your own people management approach either expand upon those things or differ in any way based on your experience actually managing people?
0: A lot of similarities. I'll I'll highlight the pieces that I try and overemphasize. I think that is based on my experience and my current role or, or the organization which I, I work in. That first piece is, is providing clarity. I try to emphasize and focus on providing clarity to my teams, and to borrow your terminology, focusing on the what and not the how. Being within the product world, as a product manager, you work with engineering and you work with design to understand a user, their problems, and design a solution. I think if myself or any other individual were dictating the how versus the what, you're removing a key activity, which is the actual engineering and designing of a solution. And if you're not empowering or enabling your teams to do what they're hired for, you're probably going to end up with a very suboptimal outcome and or not giving your team the autonomy to figure out other nooks and crannies within the problem that may exist that you don't have the ability to appreciate given the level you're at. Clarity, focusing on the what and that versus the how, is an internal mantra I feel like I have in my head on a day to day basis to make sure I'm not being pre- too prescriptive and ensure that I and the rest of the team understand what the problem is and not jumping to a given solution. Yep, love that. Goes back to the same point you were talking about
1: earlier, which is like one of the cruxes of good people management. Don't assume you know more than your team does particularly when it comes to actually solving the problem. right? You bring in
0: context that's broad, they bring in context that's deep. The second piece to deep dive on is around being a community builder or greasing the wheels, so to speak, within the organization. Having worked with teams that are difficult to work with, I feel there are many natural roadblocks that I find myself or see my teams putting up with working with other other individuals or other teams. And I think it would be an indictment on a manager not trying to build as many close productive relationships with other teams in terms of being able to really just give their team a superpower of being a good cross-functional collaborator. I think that gives other teams impetus for bringing ideas to the table that they wouldn't have otherwise, allowing for some more creative problem solving or just being willing to kind of go the extra mile. And that can be the differentiator between a medium product or a really kick-ass product. Yep.
1: Yeah, The difference between good and great is not that much difference in action, but it is meaningful. Telling people what to do versus creating a space where they figure out what to do, obviously that sounds different. I don't actually think the differences in actions are
0: night and day, but the outcomes are definitely night and day. I think that differentiation between good and great is a good one. I think it is for someone to, you could spend a week with it again within a company and I think you could very quickly identify which teams, individuals identify as the great teams and which they identify as the good or the okay teams. That is totally right. An ideal people manager strives to be the great team for them and for their team. That's totally right.
1: All right, let's get into data, data products, data-led decision-making. Let me set the stage a little bit first, which is the concept of data and how it enables better decisions at a a high level. I'm going to give an example, and I would love for you to tell me if you overall agree with... This is the concept of using data to make decisions, and then we'll get into some of the nitty-gritty. To me, without data, a company let's say a company leader, is normally making decisions by hunch. You're selling two products. You're selling apples and you're selling oranges. And let's say you're a grocery store. You have no data. You are just deciding how much is being sold based on a hunch. You don't know which product apples or oranges performing better. You don't know necessarily which one costs more, which one is easier to acquire. When you have data, data is the information that tells you Here's how the overall market supply of apples and oranges are doing, and therefore how much it's going to cost you to acquire those apples versus those oranges. Here is the overall demand for apples versus oranges, and therefore what you can reasonably set your price of apples to oranges to be. And also, here's what your competitors are doing. Here's how much they're selling their apples and oranges for, such that you can make more informed decisions around what you're selling. Maybe you're selling. 10 times more oranges at 10 times more profit a piece, but without data, you're just hoping that you learn that information or that you observe it yourself. With data, maybe you can actually lean into that and say, well, I should probably be buying a lot more oranges, increasing my prices quite a bit and selling fewer apples, which maybe I'm even losing money on. To me, that's how data-led decision-making actually works in a business. And obviously we're not selling in apples and oranges, Maybe something slightly more complex than that,
0: but do you agree with that example? I do agree with that example. I will tease out at least two of the themes that come to mind for me when I think about ways that a, a, companies can utilize data. I think the first what you touched on is strategic decision-making, and the second is day-to-day and or operational decision-making. Yeah, And surely one can operate in both of those spheres without data but success is much more by chance than by, you know, a greater certainty or greater probability when using data.
1: Yep. Uh, agreed. Let's talk through those two things separately. So one is the strategic decision-making. Like you said, this is senior leaders making decisions using data. And the other is all the people on the ground, the folks actually doing the work. So in a, in our grocery store setting, which I don't know where I came up with that, but we're going to, we're going to go with it for now. Obviously I have a lot of experience in grocery stores having worked at uh at Uber and then in health tech, just like an expert grocer. In a grocery store setting, the strategic decision-making is is maybe more the owner of the grocery store deciding where do I source my apples and oranges from, whereas the decisions on the ground are maybe the person who's stocking the shelves deciding where to put the apples and oranges, stuff like that. So let's talk through the strategic decision-making. first. What are some ways in your mind that strategic decision makers so the senior leaders of a company with the grocery store or anywhere else can can utilize data to make better decisions
0: even starting before the decision on apples versus oranges i think data can be utilized at a strategic level to understand what type of grocery store do we want to be do we want to be and i'm also no expert at grocery stores so uh, glad we're for using any experts this example out there, forgive then. me <laughs> exactly. but at general purpose grocery store maybe a routes there's pavilions or shop right those are very or california more, oriented examples sure yeah. i was the shop right i was hoping was that <laughs> from my east coast they so hopefully that's yeah, a shout out a, to uh, a stop and shop and a market or, basket for you new englanders fair and maybe Mariano's for for Midwest. So So those are more general purpose, or do you want to be a specialty grocer, which in my mind is more along the lines of Trader Joe's. The theme I'll highlight in strategic decision-making, which also relates to the ideal people manager we spoke about a few minutes ago, is is clarity. So who do we want to be? What clarity does that provide to the rest of the organization at an even day-to-day basis on the decisions they should be making? And how is that backed up or checked, so to speak, and validated on a continuous basis using data. Going a level lower, ideally for these strategic decisions, you're utilizing data to check your status on the major initiatives you have by certain key metrics. So that can make problem identification And discussions about direction and whatnot, much more objective Mm -hmm. and oriented around the single thing that a company should be rallying around versus the opinion or musing of one individual. And so that can come in the form of QBRs or quarterly business reviews, it can come in the form of a metric or performance dashboard that senior leadership has access to on a day-to-day basis can come in the form of weekly team meetings to understand the progress on a certain project. And it's really just becomes data is utilizes the backbone of any problem that is identified or any project that we're trying to understand the progress or impact
1: of. Let me bring this to an example that we, we actually do have some experience in. So not grocery stores, but jump which was the bike and scooter organization within Uber that we both worked at for a time. We're talking about strategic decision-making in terms of what space do we want to play in and how are we doing in that space? We had a business that basically sold rides on bikes and sold rides on scooters. We had to have, we just threw them out there in the street. That has like any random chance of success, but we were able to do so using certain pieces of data, like how much demand is there for a bike or a scooter in this specific city? this specific area of that city. And we could then make decisions around how many do we want to deploy? Where do we want to deploy them? I think what you're talking about the quarterly business reviews or weekly updates is checking in on, well, how are we doing performance-wise along those lines? Did we, did we deploy the right number of scooters in Atlanta, for example? We can look at demand. Like our key metric might be, I think we use the number of trips being taken on a given bike or scooter on average in a city in a given day, we could see how many bikes, how many rides were being taken. And then we could therefore see, were we making the right strategic decisions around how many to deploy in that city? Or were we not? Do we need to make some updated decisions
0: based on this data we're getting on a weekly basis? Yeah, totally. And I think those data informed decision that the strategic like senior level can then filter down to how data can be utilized for day-to-day operations because you're able to provide clarity and direction in terms of what the north star is or what metrics we should try and should be aiming for for individuals to understand how their day-to-day decisions are impacting (laughs) those metrics or not impacting those metrics and can adjust on an ongoing basis. And so you have this continuous loop of a broader strategy being identified a key set or discrete set of performance metrics that we are aiming to achieve and layering down to individual teams to understand how their actions are influencing those metrics to determine if we're being successful this is like the okr framework that we're talking about in in different terms but a, a reason why i think that framework could be so so successful when having data back it is you're able to provide clarity, an idea of what success looks like, okay. and an ongoing opportunity, which I talk about this in a second. This is the the third way I think data can be utilized in a company, but you're providing an opportunity to learn. Let's get actually go to that next. But
1: first I want to talk through the second piece a little bit, which is Helping people make better decisions on the ground. You just talked about this briefly. Let's bring it to the to the jump example. You were on the ground at times. What data in the jump example was needed by the individual person who was deploying bikes or scooters or deciding where they were deployed? What was needed in order to help them achieve the overall
0: objectives that the company had? Let's just focus on one of the, the metrics you had spoke about, which is is rides per day. So how many times were i bike or scooter used by an individual in let's say Atlanta to focus on the two variables, supply and demand. If we weren't achieving our target rides per day, there could be some questions we could ask around do we have enough bikes on the street to be able to have like a, a large enough like number of rides we're completing, or do we not have enough trips being taken on the bikes that we do have available and so for the rides per day it's a little bit more on on the demand side and with data we could understand okay when we deploy bikes in these three zip codes we're seeing rides per day be five times lower than when we deploy them in these four other zip codes yeah. or when we deploy at this these times of day versus these other hours and through those data findings or data insights, you can start to refine what ended up being a deployment schedule of where and when do we put certain devices and the number of those devices, whereas without the data, you're just holding a finger in the air and hoping you arrive at the right location. But again, right? So broader strategic goal is to launch a successful bike and scooter network in the city of Atlanta. A key indicator of whether or not we are being successful air quotes, I could many definitions of success, but boy, like down to uh, rides per day, you're then able to provide clarity to the teams on the ground to understand, okay, if we're not achieving this metric, what are the data points we have available to us to understand what different ways we could influence that metric? All makes sense. One thing you mentioned was
1: data helps us make informed decisions versus just having hunches, right? Putting your finger in the air, so to speak. One parable that I think about a lot is from the book Moneyball, which is baseball oriented. So maybe not quite your wheelhouse exactly, but obviously near and dear to my heart, talks about how the difference between a bad hitter, I think they said, batting average of 250 and a really good hitter; is a batting average of three hundred. Now, those numbers don't have to mean anything to you as a listener, but but you know that a bad hitter is not good for the team, and a good hitter is good for the team. Just suffice to say that uh, bad performer versus good performer. The difference between those two was something like four hits over the course of two weeks. And you, as a scout, if you're going to watch a player and decide if they're a bad or a good hitter, you're getting some narrow view of. You're not, you're not watching every single at-bat of theirs over the course of two weeks. You're not watching every single play they make. You're watching some one or two game window. And the likelihood that you happen to be able to differentiate between that bad and that good hitter on that one day is actually pretty low because the chances that that bad hitter happens to have a better day than a good hitter on that one day are actually pretty high. And it would be very hard to know that over the course of two weeks, the good hitter got it right only four more times in the bad hitter out of, let's say, 50 chances. The hunch would be the scout goes to watch the two players that day or those two days and says, okay, well, it's what I saw. I think one's better than the other. The data would say, well, over the course of this two weeks, we actually got real information. And one of them, over the course of that two weeks, got the four more hits than the other. Or over the course of a year, every two weeks got four more hits than the other. That's impossible to observe. But it's very easy to pull data for, and that is the difference between making decisions based on hunches, which could just be wrong based on your small sample size, versus making decisions data, which are inevitably much more important.
0: I think a a key piece or a key characteristic that is made available by data in decision making is, is objectivity. So, if you're going to layer in organizational hierarchy into the scouting example, uh, somebody with the title of senior scout just going on hunches potentially would win out in the decision-making process, but could be guiding the you know organization or the baseball team in entirely the wrong direction. Whereas, if there are data-backed decisions, it's a much more objective framework for whether or not good player or great player should be signed to the team. Yep. It is an equalizer in many ways and doesn't just let the person in the decision-making
1: seat make decisions however they want. We could take this in a couple directions for you. One is talking th- through this third pillar of learning or into like, how do we, how do we actually build products that, that capture this data and deliver this data? Where, where do you want to take it?
0: I, I definitely want to talk about how do we productize or like productionalize or like make available data? to individuals before going there I do want to touch on learning because I think okay. we had the way which we were talking about data decision making up until now was pretty much top down in terms of direction I think learning is an activity that is enabled by data that can allow for bottoms up information feedback and insights on a different direction a company should head in a new idea that should be explored, a a market opportunity, so on and so forth. And I think it comes back to this theme of objectivity, because if you have data available to individuals across the organization, they can, for instance, the marketing team can explore a new email campaign or a different engagement strategy with another user base or the operations individual in our bike and scooter example can try a different deployment strategy that is not in existence anywhere else within the company. And when you have data being utilized to quantify the outcomes of those activities or those ideas, it can allow for a lot of opportunities within the company to learn about the business and identify either new problems or new opportunities that I think can create a really healthy virtuous cycle could be really for any size business, specifically startups, but I, it should be something that is emphasized in, in a company of any size.
1: I like that way of thinking about it. If, if I were to extrapolate a bit, any company, any team doesn't have perfect information about the industry that they operate in or how their product is being received by the customer. Data allows you to extrapolate insights that let you learn something more about how is your product performing? What is it that customers want? And then allows you to go test out those learnings and say, well, we actually think that there's a pocket of demand here for a different type of product than we'd previously thought based on user behavior on our existing products. We couldn't have known that before we built our existing products. But now we have those. And now we're going to take data that tells us a certain pattern of behavior and that based on us being smart people, makes us think that maybe there's this new opportunity we hadn't thought of and allows us to then make a much more informed experiment about trying something else. Instead of saying, going back to the bike and scooter example, well, no, let's just try building a a third thing called a a booter, some sort of bike-scooter combo, right? Please, marketing team, come up with a better name than booter. Uh, It sounds like I'm going to be removed from this vehicle. But instead of just coming up with some random idea that someone's like, oh, I have a vision for this different, this cross product, what it could say is we see a lot of use at commute times and uh, we have a sense that we'll never have enough supply for those commute times. Maybe we need to come up with a product that allows for multiple people to be on the vehicle at once. Maybe it would have happened upon that just thinking about ideas for how to build new, better products, but it was the data that we pull out of our system around performance of our existing products that lets us come up with more intelligent development on our existing products or new attempts at entering the market. So, not just strategic decision-making and making better decisions day-to-day, but also learning such that we can iterate in better fashion. Let's talk about the, the productized version of data. So, Data isn't just like presented out of the blue. You don't just divinate data into your brain. It, it is delivered to you in some format. And you're an expert at that being both a sitting sitting astride that data and product lie. And I'd just love to hear a little bit about what does productized data actually look like and the purposes that different products serve to get data to the end user?
0: I'll talk first and foremost about an assumption that we need to have about our data which i think is an important thing for any senior leader within a company to think through about the information that they want to make available to their team. So productized data starts with data that is accessible and that is usable. Let's just perhaps use an example a hey, uh, let, let's continue with the grocery store. Why Love not? it. So the, I may be pivoting my uh, whole like, career after this discussion. The, I, I, I know a lot have, about uh, apples and oranges. And let's pretend just to digitize a little that this grocery store has an application. It's it truly it's is a California just... grocery store <laughs> with a <licorice laughs> merchandise located throughout, of course. Um, <laughs> so making sure our data is accessible means making sure that we're recording information and that we're recording it in a standard way. So do we have a way to capture all of the things that people are ordering all of the supplies that we're buying, so on and so forth. And making sure that our data is usable can look like a lot of things, but at the very mm. least, it needs to be information that we can use. Let me use a better phrase. If uh, Usable is really data that we're able to access and that we're able to shape and do different things with so we can turn them into data products and so if you recorded all of the things that people purchased but you wrote them on a piece of paper kind of locked in a personal file cabinet that is technically accessible but not really usable and so we want to assume or make sure that any data we want to make decisions with is both accessible and usable to the technical organization at the very least to be able to create data products.
1: If I'm understanding correctly, and this makes a lot of logical sense to me, is in order to have usable and accessible data, we first need to have data points that we are recording, right? There's no way to understand supply and demand of apples and oranges without first recording in some way that we're selling, right? And then what you're saying is after we record those data points, they need to be stored in some way that makes them both accessible which technically is it could be on a piece of paper somewhere, but usable, which means it needs to be accessible by a broad audience and
0: malleable in some way. Exactly. Sure. Right. Okay. Right. All makes sense. And, and I think those those are important things to consider when you're setting up your grocery store. And you're ma- you're making sure that the data is both accessible and useful. Um, By the
1: way, for those listening, we have talking notes on this episode. And nowhere does it say grocery stores. This is just this is hot off the press, out of my brain. And I appreciate David going with it, but I promise
0: this is really off the cuff here. <laughs> yeah, we're we're running with it. let's okay. So with that assumption, let's talk about data products or like productionalized data, which really just means how do we take this information or these discrete points of information that we have and make them available. I like to think of productionalized data in, in two flavors. The first is data assets and the second is data products. Data assets, I think, are the atomic units that of information that we can use to understand the activities of a company or a a business like the most basic building blocks of information exactly right so what are the items we have in stock what is our sales record what are all of the who are all of the users that have signed up for an account in our application on our website and the data products are really things that you can you can touch and feel, and they are or
1: demonstrations of that data.
0: Exactly, they are they are built upon these atomic units or these foundational data building blocks or data assets that we have. You could use your data assets to understand what your sales history has been, if which apples or oranges are selling better, or you could take those kind of assets. And leverage them in different ways. So if you understand that customers that shop at the grocery store on Monday tend to buy this type of product, you can take that data asset and feed it into potentially a system that you have to email or engage with your customers and let them know about a promotion for those products on X, Y, and Z day. And you're able to basically take that asset and use it in different ways. You could also take the, a, a different data asset and pass it along to an operational team to help inform a decision that they have. An example of a data product is where you are leveraging some of those data assets and creating something that individuals can use directly. A very common example is a dashboard or some sort of visualization tool. The individuals can use to monitor the performance of a given metric, or they can use to slice and dice or analyze things to generate some insights. I know we have this slated to discuss later, but this really just prompted my thinking about it.
1: Sometimes I think where companies often go wrong, and this is uh, particularly leaders, de- decision making leaders with regards to data, um, they'll often focus on building the right products. How do we how do we use this data? And they don't focus on gathering high quality data. In your example, it would be we're focused on getting data to be presentable to a lot of people to make better decisions, right? We are getting information to the marketing team to to tell them that there are a lot more store go people who go to the store on Mondays, but oftentimes forgetting that we need to make sure that the data about when people go to the store is actually good, that we are gathering the right information. Maybe the original data point is really unclean in the sense that it's someone who's standing at the front of the parking lot and measuring the number of cars coming in. That's really prone for error. Maybe there are other shops in that parking lot. People are going to different stores actually on Mondays. The focusing on first getting the clean, good data. Let me get some sort of electronic checker in place that actually adds up the receipts from Mondays versus other days. And then let me present it to the right people is really important, because otherwise you're going to be making equally as bad decisions as if you didn't have any data products at all, because you could be presenting data in any which way you want, but if it's not good data, then you're not making, you're still not making good decisions.
0: A hundred percent correct. The ordering of the things, accessible, usable data assets and products, that is very much the ordering of a pyramid I would envision. Products are the things that we, tu- right, we touch and feel and we experience directly. And so that to us may be what data is. But if you don't have the other components done well, what you end up looking at could be a drawing or it could be meaningful data, and you wouldn't know the difference or they would have the same impact. And so thinking about data in that way, especially at the kind of sub, the, the atomic unit can be really helpful to at this like senior and strategy level, make sure that we're doing everything we can to set things up to capture information we want, make sure it is done in an accurate and structured way, and we can package it so we could use it in either other systems and processes or make directly available in some sort of productized version. Sometimes I think also along those lines,
1: what leaders are ultimately pushing for is get me good information, right? Make sure that this chart looks presentable to my brain and that sometimes at the expense of good information going into that chart. So I think it behooves leaders, particularly in companies that are first getting their feet wet in data creation, to really question how good is the underlying information you're presenting to me because this bar chart that you show me may look really nice, but it may belie a lot of nuance around how good this data actually is that could, if perfected, make my decisions
0: totally different. That final layer oftentimes is the simplest thing to adjust relative to messing things up lower in the pyramid or the data stack is. It's potentially more technical term for it.
1: I, yeah, I think that actually maybe goes back to a broader manager point, which is a lot of good leadership is ensuring that the basics are done the right way. And I think that's equally, if not more true, in data, right? Like you could have all the fancy crap you want on top of your, your data assets, but if your data assets aren't good, then you're never going to be making good decisions. Right,
0: right. and I, I totally. Just to reintroduce the layering of things we, we, as we talked about them thus far, I think that's what separates... Good managers from bad managers, because those are the difficult decisions. It's a very right. easy decision to decide that I want a line chart instead of a bar chart. It's a harder decision to say, okay, we can only capture these two types of information and nothing else. Is that at the bare minimum going to enable us to quantify and track the key activities that we need to monitor success in the business today? I yep. think also that goes to whether or not you're able to, if you make that decision, you can then provide that clarity and everyone everyone's growing in the the same direction.
1: I think back often to how Uber structured this, because obviously Uber had one of the greatest product market fix of all time, which is very lucky in some ways, right? But in other ways, the growth of the business was fueled by a few really good decisions that were made internally. And one of those, in my mind, Curious Your Thoughts is the creation of tremendous amounts of data availability. Basically anyone at the company had access to a ton of different data points that were gathered on the product. You could see where people were opening the app and how far away a car was from them when they opened the app. You get a really good sense of like average ETA by pocket of the city. That was just one example of many, but Uber early on spent a lot more time making sure there was tons of great data being pulled and only later tried to build products on top of it that made it more accessible. But instead of focusing on data products, the second piece of that that pyramid you talked about, yep. they instead just hired really analytical people who could take that raw data and turn it into something useful and make better decisions, because obviously it's faster to just throw a bunch of bodies at a problem than it is to build really good products. And I think that to me, that trade-off was really smart early on of Uber to say, basically, we're going to focus on getting all the data we possibly can, and then we're going to hire people to take the messy version of it and make it into something useful, versus we're going to focus on building products to present that data in a way that anyone could
0: use it. Totally. Yes. Yes. I agree with that. I, that is, is opening a little bit, a, a tangent I'd, I'd love to go down around uh, what do I it. think. Yeah, I mean, I think sure that, that's be really, sure, <laughs> it, it is someone going along the along the lines of what we had talked or brainstormed about. But I mean, I think this is really a taking the good examples from uh, Uber and other places. I think this is speaking to a blueprint that can be laid out for how companies can get data to their teams to make better decisions. Data should be usable, reliable, and timely. Timely is actually really important. Yes, yeah. I think if you remove any one of those, you're not going to have a truly data-driven culture within a company. Usable assumes, that's what we had talked about earlier Is it accessible? Is it usable? Make sure that the, I think, I like the way you described it, ensuring that the data data is malleable. Reliable means that can your teams depend on the fidelity of the information that is captured and presented? And timeliness, are we able to access the data in the time in which we need to make the decision? If we need to make a purchasing decision tomorrow for what will be our very successful California-based grocery store, we only have data as of three months ago, we're probably going to make a very poor decision and very quickly we'll turn away from leveraging data at all. That's cable stakes. Usable, reliable, and timely data. Timely, by the way, generally
1: does not mean up to the second for most companies. Yes, right. It just means within a time frame to be able to make a reasonable decision. For example, if I'm trying to decide what are some changes to my business I want to make for the coming six months? Looking at data from two years ago is is going to be largely irrelevant. It's okay if my data isn't up to the second. It's okay if my data is delayed by a week. But it's a question of accurate timeliness rather than precisely up to the minute.
0: Right, yeah. And I think these are company-specific and timeliness issues shortly as, as well. Probably NASA launching
1: a, an, a rocket needs up to the second data more than One would imagine. our
0: David Max grocery business does. Right, exactly. Perfect, perfect name. So, okay, so once you have those foundations in place, you want to make sure that your data is structured and easily accessible to all teams. To your point, Uber did this extremely well and that was clearly an intentional and principled decision that they made at the outset. And that structure can look like things that are data that is easy to understand, easy to approach, and access can look like things like a very straightforward locations to access the data, tools used to interpret it, and ways that information can be shared across the organization. The last piece is having reinforcement of data broadly, or at the very least, any key measures that the business is striving towards across all layers of the planning process. And it should be the starting point for any problem identification. So an organization that is effectively disseminating and utilizing data, I think looks like one where they're strategic plans are based by data findings or hypothesis based on data insights. And anytime a problem is discussed, again, just to remove the biases of hunches, so to speak, data is backed to bring an objective view of what the problem is what. So teams can then be able to have the clarity to focus on on the how.
1: In other words, data is used to close the feedback loop of here's information about what's going on in our business, and we're going to use that information to then inform decisions about the business. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction because we've gone on for quite a bit of time now about this in a way that, by the way, I think is awesome. But I I now, having focused so much on this pyramid and talking about the principles of data, I want to bring it home, particularly for some of our leaders who are maybe delving into obtaining and utilizing data in their teams the first time. How should I, as a leader, dealing with structured data in some way for the first time, how should I go about helping my team get information or data to make better decisions than
0: they are now? What are like, the first steps I need to take? So we're assuming that we have usable, reliable, and timely data available to us. Let's take the grocery store example, but let's make it a not chain. Let's make it a mom and pop
1: that is trying to scale, right? Mom and pop shop is taking home a couple hundred K a year. They think it's time to expand, but they're not hundred percent sure. And they, they need to just have a lot better understanding of their business right now. All transactions are done in cash through a old time register that is not internet connected and Stocking is mostly based on one of the two owners just saying, I think because it's winter, we need more pumpkin. Or I guess fall was probably a better season for pumpkin. I agree with that insight. I, as one of the mom and pop owners, want to start franchising this thing, but it's hard to franchise something if you don't have an underlying understanding of business performance. How do I, as the owner of this business, think about what I need to do first? I
0: want to start from a principle base. Because again, just a lot of these first decisions inform a lot of the data that you're able to capture and how accessible, reliably, and timely it is. The first thing you want to do as the owner of this mama papa shop is make sure you understand what are the discrete entities and events that you want to be able to track and monitor. So... Is it important for me to understand what items we stock? Who are our unique customers? What's the transaction of all of our sales? And kind of why it's important to have all of that information about those entities and events. Because I think from there, you can then start to think about, okay, what are the processes or the pieces of technology that I need to implement or incorporate into my business to be able to start to capture that information. So what do I want to measure and then how do I want to measure it? Yes. Okay. Exactly. And I think thinking about it in terms of entities and events without going too far down a theoretical data rabbit hole that will enable you to combine those two concepts entities and events into meaningful metrics down the line. But it really all comes down to who are the actors or the entities within my business that I want to understand and what are the events or things that happen or things that occur that I want to be able to track. Love that. And if you then want to understand who are the key users of that data today and who may be the key users in the future, if it is just yourself and maybe a business partner that you have that you are the users who want to leverage data today to be able to make this decision on whether or not to franchise. It's probably more important to just focus on the capturing of the information and how it's structured versus finding the perfect visualization tool or deciding where other users can be able necessarily to access it. And I think you will also want to think about users in the future in case you do at some point want to expand to be a company of a hundred individuals, let's say you're five right now, maybe you don't make the decision on the tool you're going to use to visualize it, but you're at least structuring things at the outset to make sure that you're able to scale to that point in the future when it becomes relevant.
1: You don't need to figure out how to record every single data point, but you should at least set yourself up such that you're able to easily later rather than implementing data recording techniques or practices or tools that are not scalable beyond the exact thing that you're trying to record right now. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And so hopefully with that information, we understand, okay, entities and events we want to record. We have an idea of the pieces of technology or processes we need to put into place to gather that information we have an idea for who is going to be using that. And then I think you want to envision the decisions you want to make by either humans or other automated systems to gut check that you are thinking and planning for all of the source of truth data that you need to have access to and that the users today would be able to make those decisions once it is available. If the cost to acquire a customer is very important, but we were only thinking about grocery store transactions and stocking of items, and we didn't incorporate all the money we're spending on Facebook to get people to come to the grocery store. Ideally, when you're envisioning the decisions you want to make, you'd be able to stop yourself and say, oh, we should actually think about this other piece of information that we need to incorporate. And so we can make sure that, that that is the foundational approach. And there are a lot of specifics for, again, like what tools to use, how to disseminate it, but that foundational approach, I think, gives you a really solid starting point that you could just layer on some of these pieces of technology that could really just depend on budget or industry, et cetera. But if you have this solid foundation, those things are really easy to abstract in the top layer. Whereas when you want to make the decision and you realize you didn't record or have an ability to capture this one data point. You're kind of... You're out of luck. That's it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The headline here is much like it is in a lot of the topics we discuss on this podcast, which is doing the foundational things. Basically, starting by crawling enables you to then walk and then run later. If you try to skip to the end of having all these fancy tools, but don't have the underlying information in a good place, it's largely going to be useless.
0: Yeah, and it can be abstracted away from the mom and pop to a somewhat larger organization where if we don't have these discrete entities and events, or they aren't captured in a reliable, timely way, you just have an inability to align on what the actual problem is across an organization or just second guess the approach that is agreed upon or forced onto a team at any given point in the project or the process.
1: And you cannot go back and retroactively create data that does not exist. So if you don't capture it, it's gonna be hard to make decisions on it later when it doesn't
0: exist to begin with. Right, Right. and one additional point is I think that is just another example or forcing function for an effective people manager to showcase that they really understand the business they're in, who their customers are and what they need what information they need access to to make the best decisions possible in order to be successful?
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, we have hit our time here and then some. and This is a topic I could discuss literally all day, but I think our listeners would stop at some point. So we're going to call it a day. David, thank you so much for joining me today on Management One Hundred and One, uh, talking through how to create and utilize data to ultimately make better decisions is one of the core pieces that any leader and manager needs to do well. So really glad we got to dive into this with an expert on the topic. So thanks. Thanks for joining us. Of course. Really appreciate being invited and can't wait to open our grocery store. (laughs) Agreed. And thank you all so much for listening. Have a good rest of your week.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Management 101. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to subscribe and leave a comment or review that helps others find the show. And we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in to Management 101. And we'll catch you in the next episode.